0: Good morning church. Today's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. Please turn in your Bibles with me or you can follow along on the screen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, and so, also, must so you also must forgive, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A couple of weeks ago, uh, Bruce Kendrick came and was a guest speaker, guest preacher, and he uh, spoke about putting to death what he called cultural Christianity, or the cultural Christian. The cultural Christianity trap is being surrounded by the trappings of Christianity, looking like a Christian, behaviors, music, habits, and friends, taking on that Christian image, getting into the Christian culture maybe going to Chick-fil-A every now and then, going to church, appearing to lead a clean life, but really missing the essence of having a relationship with Jesus, having a form of godliness, if you will, but denying its power, as Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, Tom brought to us a follow-up message in Colossians. Uh, and was uh, bringing us a, a challenge to put to death the sin that once controlled us. And we had a whole litany of these sins that we all are very familiar with. We know them quite well. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is also idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, The list goes on, although that is the list in Colossians that Paul gives us. These are things that we no longer do when we've joined Christ and we become part of his kingdom, when he takes residence in us and we become a new creature. We've left these things behind. If you will, they are the thou shalt nots in our faith. The things that we avoid and don't do anymore because they are poison to the soul. We've taken off the old self with his practices, as Paul writes in Colossians verse 9, earlier in this book. And that self is the Greek word anthropon, which really means man, person. We've taken off that old person and we've put on the new. So, the last two weeks we've been taking off, putting on, leaving behind. This week we're going to shift gears a little bit and focus on the things that we do. Things that we put on. And if you will, the thou shalt rather than the thou shalt nots. And as important as they are, the thou shalt nots pale. In importance to the Thou Shalts, Jesus, if you'll remember, when he uh, was asked what the greatest commandment was in chapter twenty-two of Matthew, he didn't mention any of the Thou shalt, shalt Nots in the in the Ten Commandments, did he? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not covet. Didn't mention any of those. How did he answer? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And soul and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you see, it's something that that we do that is most important, something that we take on, a new disposition, a new attitude, a new knowledge of our God. We've seen religions all around the world, and you see them today, and the first thing when you talk to someone out in the world and they find out you're a religious person, they're going to try to find out what it is that you don't do. What is it that's forbidden in your language, in your religion? And all these world religions have something that's forbidden. After all, it's man's attempts to construct something to make himself reach God rather than What our faith is, God reaching to us. So these two commandments that Jesus mentions really address the very core of what it means to have a relationship with God. Would you agree with me on that? It's the core. It's the essence of our faith. And we get into trouble sometimes when we try to place upon lost people a requirement to not do the things that we have already put off. You see what I'm saying? It's problematic, isn't it? Lost people are not really interested in putting off the things that we've already put off. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It shouldn't be. But we get into trouble when we try to make it that. We're going to clean up his life. Get him into church, clean up his life, make him a good guy, make him a good young lady. That's not what our faith is all about. That is a byproduct, of course, of what walking with Christ is. He has that transformational effect on us. But we've got to keep in mind that when we're reaching the lost, we don't give them a bath first. We bring them to Christ, and he regenerates them and brings them into a holy life over time. So when we put away sin without inviting the Lord into our lives to fill that void. We simply replace old sin with something different, don't we? Replace old sin with something that's often worse, pride. We start doing things and, you know, checking off the boxes of what I've been able to accomplish or how God has made me holy, or I, I do this, I read my Bible every day. I've gone through the Bible four times this year. Whatever it is, although these things are good, they're hollow in themselves. So this week, as we talk about putting on the new self, we're going to talk about the new man being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of our Creator. What is it that we put on? Being clothed in Christ. I love the way that the 84 NIV puts it in that first verse in chapter, tw- in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 12. The believer's outward focus is one of the things we will consider this morning in verses 12 through 14. The believer's inward disposition is also something we need to take a look at. And then the believer's life reflecting Christ in everything we do. Let's pray together as we go into God's Word. Father, thank you again for your Word. Thank you for giving us truth. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who guides us in all of this truth and, and, and communicates and helps us to understand these things that our carnal mind is incapable of understanding otherwise. Lord, I pray that you'd open up our minds this morning. Open up our hearts today to discern the spiritual truth in this passage. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Correct us, teach us, empower us that we will love you and love one another better. Lord, help us to reflect the glory of Jesus when we walk in your ways. And Father, as we study, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as your spirit fills us, just as he filled Peter. And those early apostles after Pentecost, they were bold in their witness. Lord, I pray that you would make us bold, effective witnesses in our community, in our circles of influence in the world around us. So Lord, be with us as we study today in Jesus' name. You'll forgive me this morning. I'm kind of losing my voice. It's been going on for about two days now. So if I kind of get to the point where I'm a whisper, bear with me, hang in there. Hopefully, I can make it through this. So, to open up here, I'd like to just have you think for a moment. When people see you or you see someone for the very first time, what is it that people usually immediately notice first about you? The very first thing. What is it they notice first? Think about that. Besides the genetic things like the color of your skin or how tall you are or how big your nose or your ears are or those things that we can't control because of the way we were born, our clothing is something that they notice right away, right off the bat, don't they? What we're wearing, what we do with our hair, what do we do to the body to make it look a certain way as we project who we are to people outside? The image of ourselves that we want to project. That's what people see first about us, isn't it? The very first thing. Uh, I'm going to punish you and torture you just for a minute, especially you kids who don't know about 70s fashion. But in the 70s, we had the greatest of all fashion periods, I have to tell you. Um, We had bell-bottom jeans. We had colorful clothing. John, there we go. Oh, this is the 80s, actually. We had the puffy shoulders you know, with the women in the the, the dress. You remember those? Uh, The the mullets, that was the 80s. But on back to the other, do you have the 70s pictures in there, John? Yeah, bell-bottom jeans. That's what we wore in high school. Yeah, leisure suits. You get those? You remember those? The leisure suits. Colorful clothing. It was bright and it went out of style quickly, thank goodness. I will never caught catch myself dead wearing those things again. But those are the things that we wore, that we put on to, to to project an image, you know. We actually see a lot of times by what people wear, things about them, don't we? You know, we can kind of see if they are either like a, a conformer or trendsetter, or we can see if they prefer to be formal or casual or... Modest or audacious? Behind the times or Gucci in fashion? Blend in or stand out? But you know, like these fashion trends that we see up here, in our scripture text today, Paul uses a clothing metaphor that we put on Christ as the thing that we want people to see first and foremost in our lives when we cross paths. Christ clothed on us. Of course, the similarity kind of ends there, you know. But what we put on reveals to the world something very important about ourselves. Putting on Christ shows them our relationship with God as we walk with Him. Fashion comes and goes. It's temporal. It's meaningless on the grand scheme, isn't it? But Christ in us is for eternity. So, Colossians chapter 3 is going to address three spiritual qualities, basically, that stand for eternity. First of all, I, I, as I mentioned before, I want to dive into the first point, which is the believer's outward focus in verses 12 through 14. Let's jump back over to verse 12 and we'll read that again. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Galatians five twenty two has a couple of crossover things, actually three to be exact, in the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes in Galatians of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that believers are to have as they walk in the Spirit. It's outward facing. It's what we put on every day. It's the thing that others see, others as we have relationships with them, as we relate to them. Let's take one, for instance, gentleness. Gentleness, I think, is one of the most obvious things that I have seen. I, I've been walking through some, some things lately as a trustee at Hardin-Simmons University, and, um, and good people disagreeing on some basic things. Good Christian people disagreeing on how to do academics. I won't get into the details of it here, but it makes all the difference in the world When we disagree, but we do it with a gentle spirit, doesn't it? Gentleness, gentle spirit. It's the opposite of being rude or self-asserting. Gentleness is a delicate consideration of the rights and feelings of others, especially necessary in administering rebuke or discipline. So when we go to discipline our children, what's going to be one of the most important things that we express to our children? A gentleness, a love. Yes, a firmness, a resolve to discipline, but gentle, gentle. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then Paul writes again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose Him must be gently instructed. Colossians 13, moving on into the next verse, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. So we've got compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now taking those qualities and moving into the realm of bearing with one another, bearing with one another. Now here's a newsflash for all of us. I'm sure we're all aware of this, but We retain our personalities, don't we, when we are born again and come to Christ. We do retain our personality. Now, God molds us and He softens us. He's transforming us. He's sanctifying us. We are new creations. But He created us with a personality. And sometimes those personalities clash or rub against each other the wrong way. And that's a natural thing. Conflict and disagreement is natural and it can be good and healthy. In a church, in a congregation. But what is critical is how we approach conflict. Do we do it with these five qualities? Gentleness, compassion, kindness, patience with one another. And I like really to throw into this this section humility with a big dose of humility. These virtues really form the foundation for bearing with one another, don't they? The foundation for our bearing with, for one another, for forgiving any grievance that we have with one another. Forbearance can be parsed further by saying that it is bearing with one another. It's giving others perhaps the benefit of the doubt, Being patient with one another, whereas forgiveness goes a step further and you are pardoning a grievance that you perceive against yourself. Pardoning a grievance against yourself. Extending grace without reference to what anyone else has done, without reference to whether or not that grace is deserved, without reference. To whether that grace has been asked for. It is our duty to forgive. And that's an art, I think, that many times in many circles in our Christian life, people have forgotten how to forgive, how to really, truly forgive. Again, it's not an option for us, is it? Forgiveness is mandated. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that when we're praying, we should pray that God would forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors or as we forgive our debtors. In other words, the way he forgives us, we're praying that he will base that on the way we've been able to forgive other people. That's pretty serious stuff. Pretty serious stuff if we pray that and mean it. So, is there anybody that you've not been able to forgive? Dig deep, dig deep into your life, into your past, into your presence? Have you not been able to forgive, really forgive someone I'm going to use a common example because I grew up in church I'm a preacher's kid, I grew up uh, you know in the pew, you know getting my diapers changed in the pew, you know. Taking my bottle in the pew, going in the nursery floor, you know, uh, Dad was always at church every time the doors opened. So I always have these church illustrations that I like to use. But, but this is this is one that I think uh, that that I think we would do well to to kind of think about this a little bit. Someone or something has offended someone within a church body. There is an offense that's been made. Rather than making the hard investment to work through that offense or that issue the person who is offended decides to take the easier path and just leave not liking conflict what happens when that happens several things first of all they have robbed the one Who offended as well as themselves of the opportunity to learn and grow from that experience in Christ whenever we're offended sometimes we we need to kind of step back and perhaps we've offended as well and we haven't discovered that yet but it's a hard thing to roll up our sleeves isn't it and actually go into a situation where we know we're going to have a conflict with someone But again, taking on these qualities of forbearance, these qualities of gentleness, of patience, of kindness in the way we deal with them, giving the benefit of the doubt. We owe that to our brothers and sisters, do we not? So when we do that, we've also passed on the opportunity to get closer to a fellow believer by working through the problem. Because you know when... I don't know about you guys, but when Elaine and I, we never have fights anymore. No, not really. We, we never have fights. We have disagreements, you know. But we've had less and less and less disagreements the older we get because we kind of knock off those rough edges, and that just happens in married life, I think, you know. The longer you're married, the, the more you get used to one another and know each other and, and extend grace, you know. But... By having conflict with someone, experiencing that conflict, we actually have an opportunity to draw closer to them, don't we? Whenever Elaine and I have had a disagreement in our marriage and we've worked through that, how do we always feel afterwards? You know. You've experienced it. Closer. 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 What often happens, though, is people leave and they take their problem and they transport it to another church. They kick the can down the road in regard to learning an important lesson that God wants them to learn now instead of dealing with the issue now. But here's the worst part of all of this. Failure to forgive leads to anger. And anger, invariably, if it's not dealt with, if it stays there over time, leads to bitterness. And there is nothing that will kill your spirit, that will kill the spirit of Christ in you quicker than a root of bitterness. People closest to you begin to see it first, then it goes out to people you work with, then it goes out further and further until after a while, you just become a bitter person. I've seen people like that in the church. I have experienced people like that in the church. It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a splinter. When you get a splinter in your hand or in your arm or wherever it is in your foot, I'll say the foot because that's the most painful, isn't it? That's the most irritating get a big splinter in there, and what happens? It hurts, doesn't it? But what happens if you leave that splinter in there for a while? Does it kind of go away, you know, like a blister or something else? It's going to fester, isn't it? It's going to fester. It's going to swell. It's going to look ugly. It's going to to be more and more and more painful until you do what? Until you remove the splinter. Bitterness is that way; it stays and stays and stays until we go in and allow God to help us to remove the cause of that bitterness and forgive there 's a test of forgiveness that uh, that I like to that I like to, to think about i 've just kind of thought about this in the last few days. Elaine and I again she 's very insightful, and I, I, I hear a lot of things from her that that I like to remember, and this is one of them, and it's a test of forgiveness. Have you really forgiven? First of all, are you able to express empathy for the one that has offended you? Then, are you able to pray for the one who's offended you? Now, a lot of times we just kind of stop there and we think, okay, I've forgiven, I can empathize with them, I can pray for them, but that's as far as I'm willing to go. But the next step is, are you able to thank God that the offense happened in the first place? Think about that. God, in his sovereignty, allowed that offense to happen. When you thank God for that, you begin to develop a deep appreciation for the growth of Christ or growth in Christ that you experience that you would not have experienced had that offense not occurred. It's an opportunity for us to grow when we can actually come and thank God that this happened. And finally, can you thank God for the one who offended? Very good tests to see how deeply we actually have forgiven. Moving on to Colossians three, verses verse fourteen, Paul writes, "And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." So, in this verse here, we really see love as kind of the outer garment that we're putting on top of these other things that pulls this ensemble together. It makes it perfect. The NIV and the ESV, the English Standard Version, translate it this way, it says, love which binds them all, or which binds everything together. And then the New American Standard Version Bible, which I think is a little bit closer to what was intended, says, which is the perfect bond of unity. So in other words, love in one is translated as binding. It's an active verb that binds all of these things together. In the other, it actually is the agent that binds things together. It is the agent. Either way, we see love as an indispensable element of forgiveness and forbearance, don't we? There's a good reminder that we always need to look at when we talk about love, and that's 1 Corinthians 13, won't read the whole chapter for you, but you know what I'm talking about. Those four verses really zing it home. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things the believer's inward disposition is addressed in verses 15 and 16 first colossians i'm sorry in colossians 3:15 paul writes let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful and be thankful. This word rule could be translated many different things. I think it's as good a translation as any to use the word rule, but you could also use words like arbitrates, control, guide, reign, be the ruling principle. Have power over, be the deciding factor, the peace of Christ being the deciding factor in your hearts. Another one is umpire or officiate, giving us that glimpse of it being a race that we're running. We're running this race, as Paul uses that analogy over and again, striving for the goal, striving for the goal. So the peace of Christ is a barometer in our lives. certainly is with me. When I'm experiencing Christ's peace in my life, I know that God is with me. Now, I may be in turmoil in other areas. Things may be upside down in other parts of my life, finances, work, Struggles with projects, kids having difficulties at school, things might be upside down, but when I've got the peace of Christ, I can live victoriously. The peace of Christ. It's a barometer that lets us know when we are in and out of step with God, when we experience the peace that passes all understanding. It's that still small voice inside of us that we hear and listen to in the midst of turmoil. It's that sense of oughtness. I am where I ought to be. Peace. Shalom. The Israelis still use the word shalom. Shalom, shalom, double shalom, double peace, you know. Harmony between your spirit and the Holy Spirit within you. Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 4, reminds us about this peace of Christ. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we, as we look at this morning, at this concept of peace, we need to ask ourselves, do we experience this peace and if not, why not? And in all of this, he ends this this little passage here, and be thankful, be thankful, be thankful the The, the word here be is actually become. That's actually the Greek word, become thankful, as if you're really not thankful yet. You know, you don't really have the capacity to really be thankful for what you ought to be, you know, that God has done for you in the face of all of this wonderful, you know, gift that God has given us. We're never thankful enough. So, he says, become thankful. Strive after that. Strive to be thankful to God in everything. Chapter 3, verse 16 goes on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And again, I am so grateful to Andrew Babb, to Johnny, to Chuck, to the entire team that, that brings forward this music every week that they put lots of prayer and thought into and In bringing us biblically into worship. It is so important. There's a marked difference, and I think we'll all, we'll all agree, between knowing Bible verses and Bible stories, between being able to explain theological formulations between being able to reproduce all the right answers to spiritual questions. Nothing wrong with those things. We need to strive and, and, and learn the scriptures and parse them and, and see how they apply to our lives. But there is a marked difference between these things on themselves, in themselves, and letting God's Word dwell in you richly. John 6 records an episode with Jesus and the Pharisees where where He tells them, you study the Scriptures in vain. There was nobody that studied the Scriptures and poured over them quite like the Pharisees was there. You study the Scriptures in vain. You believe that in them is life, yet you refuse to come to Me, to whom the Scriptures testify." So there's a there's a type of bible study really that that is pretty worthless. I mean, I think really I guess bible study in some form or fashion can always lead to good because God's word can always open up him to us. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to open up our minds to him. But There's a type of Bible study that is informational only. And I've I've been in classes where this is certainly the case. Informational only. Conveying information with no real application. Resisting any real self-examination. Any pursuit of a conviction of sin. Resisting any transformation of heart. But the Word of God, applied as it should, should lead us to relationship with Jesus. Yes, we want to gain all the information we can. Yes, we want to strengthen our doctrine. Yes, we want to know why it is that we believe what we believe. But if we've done all of these things and we've missed Jesus, missed a passionate love for Christ in our lives, We've missed the boat, just as the Pharisees had. Philippians 3 says it this way, But whatever it was to my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. This was Paul having studied as a Pharisee himself and gained high ranks as a Pharisee and worked hard. He considered it all loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. Finally, we end up in Colossians 3.17. And I think this is a perfect capstone for the end of this section of the of the book. He simply says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we could kind of look at this maybe one of three ways. We could say, Well, this means that we're looking at it in dependence on the Lord. Whatever we do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing it in dependence on the Lord for everything. Or we are recognizing the authority of Jesus in everything. These are both true. But I like to also think of it this way. As followers of the Lord Jesus, we are his representatives. We represent Christ When we leave this room. And in it too. (laughs) But we are Christ's. Ambassadors. If we lose our. Effect. For Christ. On those outside. Of our body. We've missed a lot. We've missed everything. There's a. Guy I knew back in college. Andrew was his name. We got a lot of Andrews in here. I know Andy, Andrew, a lot of, lot of folks in here. But uh, he and I were in the cowboy band together. We were tuba players. We had a big band at that time. I was, a, I was the section leader. We had six tubas. Uh, it was my last semester. I'd already graduated. I was in a, taking a, a semester of graduate school before Elaine and I packed up our bags and went to Taiwan as missionaries through the IMB. Uh, to do a two-year missionary journeyman volunteer program really wasn't volunteer they paid us didn't pay us much might as well be volunteer but but uh, my last semester was grad school we were getting ready to depart for taiwan and uh, there was this young man who was a freshman that year his name was andrew and he was a freshman andrew with an attitude seen some of these guys like that big attitude He was incredibly disrespectful of any kind of authority. He had a chip on his shoulder a ton. He was rebellious. And what's more, he had an earring. Back then, that was a big deal. Now, it's not so much, but he had an earring. He had a tattoo, you know. Can you see? Just fill in the blank. He had whatever, you know. He also had long hair. He was sloppily dressed. Anything that you could think of in his life that was a rejection of authority, he had it. And I was his most immediate authority that he rejected as section leader of, of, of the tuba section there. So what do I do as a good section leader? You know, the guy who just graduated, the guy who's about to go out and do missionary work overseas. Well, I came down on him hard. I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. I'm going to teach him how to be a good band guy. I'm going to squish him I judged him, first of all, didn't I? Just by the things that I just told you, I judged him, didn't I? I judged him. I made it my business that fall to put him in his place, to correct him, to make sure he respected authority, which really meant me. Squashing him, humiliating him, calling him out in front of others, whatever chance I had to do that, I would. In a very smart kind of way, of course, you know. Somewhere in the course of that semester, thank God the Holy Spirit lived in me and still does. He began to convict me of that. And you know that smooth, still small voice I was telling you about a minute ago? It also has the other effect. It has that irritating effect that, that pokes at you and goes, Really? Seriously? You're a believer? And you're acting this way. What I finally realized. Was how quickly I had forgotten. The low place. That God had called me from. Just three years earlier. To come to Hardin-Simmons and study. I was completely devoid of compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness and patience. And I realized that. And what I did, I did the only thing I could do. (laughs) I humbled myself, and I apologized to Andrew, first of all, personally, and then in front of the entire section, because I was wrong. Doesn't mean that he was right in his rebelliousness, but that's for God to deal with. I was wrong. Well, we went on to Taiwan and did our thing, and two and a half years later, we came back, and Andrew was a senior. And come lo and behold, Andrew had cleaned up. He didn't look the same. He didn't act the same. Come to find out, he was heavily involved in his church and in BSM. He initiated contact with me when I came back. I was just there passing for for a while. And he thanked me. Oh my goodness, what a humbling experience because I did not deserve to be thanked for anything. But he thanked me for demonstrating the gospel through the fruit of the Spirit that I exhibited in coming to him and asking him for forgiveness and apologizing. And he noted that that apology was the turning point for him that began to lead him to the gospel and he was saved. I did not deserve to be used. None of us does, really, do we? But even working through my ugliness and failure as a Christian, God touched a life through me. He wants to do that through every one of us. Every day. Compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Let's put these things on and wear them with pride as representatives of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the way you use flawed instruments like us to accomplish your purposes. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we each have. First of all, of being known by you. And the privilege that we have of knowing you. So Lord, help us to, to grasp the responsibility, the magnitude of this Walk with Christ that we are currently engaged in and take it with full seriousness. Lord, help us to to clothe ourselves with these fruit of the Spirit, Lord. Help us to be the representatives that you've called us to be. Transform us. Make us into the new creation. Lord, use us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Well let's go ahead and stand to our feet
3: as we respond and worship, singing, Be thou my vision. service by seeing Have a seat as we conclude our service with some announcements. First of all, we want to say welcome to any of you who are visiting with us here today. We are so thankful that you've chosen uh, to gather with us. Uh, we have a little gift bag for you um, at the entry table. Uh, just has a little booklet called "What Is the Gospel," a little Starbucks gift card, and a little mug. Uh, we'd love for you to take that with you as a token of our appreciation for your choosing to join us today. Uh, We also have a uh, QR code that you can scan and connect with us. It'll take you to a Google form that you can fill out. And uh, you can let us know how we can be praying for you, things that we can follow up with you about, ways that we can be a blessing to you uh, as the body of Christ. So please do take advantage of that. Uh, A couple of announcements for us Uh, Women's gathering is uh, Tuesday, March 14th. That's two weeks from this Tuesday, I believe. Uh, And then the following week is the men's ministry. Uh, The women's gathering will be at Cottonwood Creek, and the men's will be at the CRC house. Uh, So make sure you make note of that. Also, we have the children's choir getting ready for uh, our 10 year celebration and for the uh, Easter service. So um, do speak with uh, who do we speak with about that? Is it Lori? Who's that? Rhonda or Mariette. Thank you, Jan. Jan to the rescue. Uh, So do follow up with them about that. We'd love to have as many kids in that choir uh, as we can. Let's uh, go ahead and stand up and uh, be sent out from God's Word, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless. Have a great rest of the Lord's day.